Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. As Christmas approaches for the WSL, the big guns are still racking up some big, big score lines. Man United, Man City and Arsenal all won this weekend. Surprise, surprise. But Chelsea were the only team to score eight. Yes, you heard that right. Eight goals. Sorry, Leicester. Further down the table, wins for Liverpool and Reading mean Leicester are now in real danger of relegation. But why? Should the relegation battle really be decided this early? What can we do to ensure teams have something to play for through the whole season? We've got some interesting ideas coming up. Joining us today on the pod from snowy Sweden, no less, is former Chelsea, England and Team GB legend. Welcome back, Claire Rafferty. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everyone. How are you doing not too bad how are things in sweden is it all festive very and lovely? cold yeah very cold very snowy i did actually slip on the snow earlier this morning oh. which is very embarrassing but um now you just told yeah, everyone out oh god that's, that is embarrassing especially, <laughs> I mean, especially in sweden where they're like so used to that kind of stuff and here comes you sliding around like bambi i know right well that's a great little feeding because obviously we had the massive injuries podcast last week so if uh, if anything has happened just uh, feel free to, to go back to Done. that my, my acls are, are intact that's oh, good thank to know god. thank god for that that is not what we need right now um yeah you're enjoying things out there is it sort of feeling a yeah. bit christmasy i mean uh, we can't really tell from the room you're in at the moment it doesn't look as festive as uh, no. we're expecting we expected a kind of tinsel crown type vibe but we um... no sorry sorry to disappoint yeah i'm in the hotel at the moment but outside it is very Christmassy, lots of Christmas trees. There were actually some Christmas carolers <gasps> last night, which was nice. What? I should have filmed them actually and sent them to sent me a recording. At the hotel. Oh, that's cute. No, outside. So outside it's like in the centre of Gothenburg. Oh. Um, yeah, and they're all gathering. It's lovely. Very oh, romantic. Involved. Did any um, Christmas caroling yourself, Claire? Your yeah. You um, sort of... Have you heard my voice? <laughs> no. I mean, feel free to just give us a little jingle. If you, I'm always if you singing on the pod, yeah. so people don't mind. <laughs> No, it was in Swedish, to be fair, so I was struggling. Not, not, not a clue what was going on. No, they could have been no, telling no, you no. anything. They could have been singing anything. Yeah, they weren't even Christmas songs yeah. at all, were they? <laughs> yeah, they probably weren't, actually. No. Come to think of it. <laughs> 
All right, let's get stuck in. Obviously, some big, big games to cover. Uh, Man United and Man City keep a pace at the top. Uh, with one round of fixtures left before the winter break, Chelsea are back on top 24 points uh, with a game in hand over everyone else. Three points above Man United and Arsenal. Uh, I mean, let's touch first on on, on quickly on, on Man City. Uh, they, they picked up the points 3-1 against Brighton. Uh, I mean, Chloe Kelly, again, had a ridiculously epic game. I don't think this is a very controversial scoreline um yeah Claire did you manage to catch up on much of this at all yeah I just see I mean what a great first half for for Man City and Chloe Kelly as you mentioned was on fire she's absolutely electric I think everything comes from her in that city side she really does um generate a lot of energy but yeah I did feel a little bit for Brighton um I think their form has has improved but um yeah it was quite comfortable for City in the end wasn't it yeah, I think as well, Chloe Kelly kind of stepping up in Lauren Hemp's absence because she'd picked up a knock. But um, you can see just how vital the wings are for City and how much of an outlet they are. Um, and the fact that she's able to step up like that is is brilliant. I think she's lucky not to get a goal in the end from the sounds of it. But um, not, yeah, not hugely surprising. But I think, you know, Brighton fought back a little bit in the second half, but also City did make a lot of changes, which kind of, I think, allowed for that um, that space for, for Brighton. But yeah, it seemed like a pretty comfortable victory for City. Well, it definitely keeps things competitive up there with the top four now. I mean, obviously, Man United really pushing for that that top spot, which I, I hope they'll get by the end of the season. Um, but yeah, difficult day, day for, for Brighton, obviously. I mean, you know, they've obviously come from a big period of transition, losing Hope Powell. Uh, I don't feel they've really found their feet really this season. Listen, they're, they seem to be scoring goals, but my God, they're shipping them too. So... You know, that's kind of the frustrating thing. Amy Merricks has said that they need to become harder to beat, um, which I agree with. I was at the Liverpool draw where they were 3-1 up and, and allowed Liverpool back into it. I mean, credit to Liverpool for getting back into it, but that was 3-3. Um, you know, they had that 8-0 loss, obviously, a couple of games back. Um, so, yeah, I think scoring the goals is great and it's great that they're getting their shooting boots and it's good that they got that consolation goal against City. But um, they need to, as she says, become a bit harder to beat and get a bit more solid at the back. Do you think they're sort of comfortable now in terms of like the relegation zone? We'll obviously touch on it a little bit more, but I think Brighton now, you know, they're what, seven points clear um, of, the, of, the, of the bottom spot. Um, do you feel that now there's a little bit of safety for them or do you still feel that actually they're still pretty much at risk? I think they're probably like they have a game in hand over Leicester as well, I think. So I think they're probably okay. I mean, I had them tipped as a potential, um, you know, I know Leicester are obviously always going to probably struggle, but I did worry a bit about Brighton. Um, but probably, probably safe. I think they will pick up more points across the season. Um because I think, you know, despite the change in manager, they have kind of maybe settled a little bit and they are more of a threat in those games that are around them. So probably. All right. Okay. You think they're safe-ish? Pro- probably. <laughs> I'd say they're safe. I w- yeah. I'd say they're safe. I think, as you mentioned, they are a bit leaky, but um, with a bit of consistency, it's interesting you said about their aggression and kind of being a bit more um, savvy, maybe, when, when they are... Um, up in a game I think they do lack a bit of concentration and whether that comes down to the changes um, and just that lack of uh, consistency but yeah I think um, they will be safe I think if you look at some of the key players they lost you may Letizier and Emma Coivisto both in that back line um, offering them both defensive solidity but obviously Coivisto giving them that attacking um, outlet as well so I think maybe that's potentially one of the reasons that defence is struggling a little bit 
Well, I mean, that's a beautiful little segue because talking of, you know, Maya Letizia and where she's gone, uh, Man United, oh, next on seamless. there, next on the agenda. Uh, I mean, for me, obviously, I mean, I could talk about this all day, all day. 5-0 against Aston Villa, very comfortable win in front of 30,000 fans at Old Trafford. Uh, another clean sheet for, for Mary Herbs. Uh, Katie Zellum, uh, 100th game and also getting a beautiful starting goal for, for the squad. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a Man United full of confidence, you know, scoring within 12 minutes. It really set the standard for how the game was going to go. And, you know, I think despite obviously, it, I don't think the scoreline really accurately f- reflects how well I think Villa did try to at least, you know, put up a bit of a shift. But for me, it was just another another Manchester coasting. Yeah. Did you manage to catch this one, Claire? Yeah, I, I, you know what I love the most about Man United? I think um, Mark Skinner, the way he talks about his team, you can really feel it in their performances. Um, he seems like he's quite blunt with them and in very honest uh, feedback that he gives them. But um, this high standards that he sets, you can see it in every single position. Each player knows their role. Um, they take responsibility on the pitch, which I love to see. Um, and he allows them to do that. Obviously, Villa, um, I think they struggled to to get uh, Rich Daly into the game a bit. Um, and from that, they didn't really have an outlet. And then obviously that early goal from Zellum. Um, it's nice to see her score, actually. She doesn't really get um, the, the credentials um, that, that she deserves. So, yeah, I, I think it was, a, it was a straightforward win in the end. Um, and yeah, Mark Skinner, very, very, I speak very highly of him. I think he really galvanised that team for sure. There's a ruthlessness in the squad this season that I think maybe had been lacking in previous seasons. And I think that's probably come with confidence. I think the games they had early on has really bred that confidence. And then getting that win over Arsenal has just taken them to another level. I think in the past, they've been a little bit nervous when chances aren't aren't going in. But now I feel like they're confident in their ability to score they're much more ruthless. They take those chances and they're they're so good now at, say, at not kind of, they're getting much better at least at not taking their foot off the gas when they're ahead in the game. Um, and I think that's massively, massively paying off. I think even though I absolutely love to say everything positive about Man United and I really, I really struggle to say anything negative about them Do you? at all. Yeah, I, I mean, noticed. I don't know if anyone's picked up on that in previous <laughs> podcast, but um, yeah, I think there were, if I'm going to be really honest, there were a couple of points in that game where there was a lap, there were lapses in concentration that I think Villa could have got a couple of goals had, you know, Mary Earps not been pulling off some absolute worldies. Uh, and, you know, credit to Lehman as well. I thought she was amazing on, on the left wing and, you know, Villa are a difficult side. I mean, when we were looking at the stats, I think in the first half, they were having some of, I think they had more shots on target and also they're one of the teams in the WSL who when they go behind aren't ones to fold and collapse they are very much you know pressing until the very end so I think it was credit for Man United you know seeing that that game very well very stylishly but again you know still things to work on there and I think Skinner was quite quite open and honest about that um, alright obviously I mean I've said some amazing things about Man United there they're playing uh, you know, their counterparts Manchester rivals Man City uh, next weekend on, on Sunday absolutely massive massive derby what do you think we can expect from that game? I think this is a really tough one to call I think both teams are in great form Man City are quietly going about their business um, you know I think that was their ninth home win in the WSL um, this weekend and of course playing at the Etihad um, so I'm really excited for this one I think probably Man United's are in the best place to beat them that, than they've been before um, 
I think that's gonna be a Man United win. Was that? I think I think they might edge it. I think they might edge it. I say this now. They've been both banging in the goals. It'll probably end up being like a nil-nil draw after all that. All the excitement. Um, I do think it's going to be a really exciting game. But both teams have got such great threats. I mean, if Lauren Hemp is back in that City squad with Chloe Kelly on fire, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? All right, put your flagpoles in the sand. Then what we saying, Claire? What what we saying for the score on the the Manchester derby? Oh, I'm going two-nil City. Two-nil City. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Claire. We can't. I just think they've got actually yeah I do think that um, City doesn't know how to perform in these bigger games I know obviously there's a lot of emotion around the derby but um, hopefully as you were saying with Hemp back um, those those two attacking wingers Kelly and Hemp I think they will do a lot of damage so yeah I'm going 2-0 yeah I mean with Bunny Shaw as well on flying form she's you know a difficult one to mark and with, with balls like that coming in from Hemp and Chloe, and Chloe Kelly who knows I I feel like it could be a 2-2 draw or maybe Man United will edge it 3-2 that's what that's why we work together that's why we're on the pod together. Okay. Yeah, I really like those vibes. Um, yeah, sorry, Claire, we're going to have to let you go. Um, yeah, all right then. It was nice speaking to you. Enjoy Gothenburg. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks. I, I reckon it's going to be, no surprise, I think it's going to be 1-0 Man United. Um, I think regardless of the attack and threat that, that Man City have, I think defensively, Man United are absolutely withstanding everything. And Mary Ups at the back, I mean, clean sheet queen, man. She's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't have any concerns about this weekend and it being wrapped up, really. Yeah. I, Happy Christmas all round. I think they will concede, personally. Do you reckon? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we saw that with Arsenal. They led Arsenal back into the game, um, scoring two goals, in fact, going ahead. But I just think United's attacking threat at the moment is so, so dangerous. You know, Galton, Leslie Russo, Toon, Nikita Paris. Zellum, when she found Zellum, from a corner, if she likes. <laughs> um, so I do think they're finding their four. I just, it's going to be tight, I think. I hope, I hope it'll be a tight game. All right, flagpoles in the sands. Let's see how it all pans out at the weekend. Uh, moving on now, Arsenal, uh, a big win over, over Everton, uh, 1-0. Uh, lovely to see Vivian Miedemar uh, back in the squad, in the starting eleven, uh, obviously it's a second sort of you know game in the row now starting. I think um, you know I don't think that game could have gone any better for her scoring a goal, scoring the match-winning goal, but also in the style that she scored it, a classic Viv, just a you know a classic little top top curling top bins uh, you know goal just to just to see out the the game. But you know I think it was a difficult one. I think Everton started with a very high press, uh, very demanding game for them. I think there were definitely points in the game that Everton could have come back with the the draw, if not a win. Um, so yeah, you you guys caught up with that, um, Claire? Did you manage to see some of that? Yeah, as you mentioned, the Medima scoring that that goal. I think her confidence seems to be uh, coming back to life. And what I love about her is she obviously drops quite deep, doesn't she, to to get involved in the play. And sometimes I get a bit frustrated because I want her higher up the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to see her taking that responsibility in there. Um, and the celebration, the, just the, the nonchalant celebration, very just calm, very understated, made me made me laugh. Um, but yeah, Everton, I think they did provide quite a, a, an attacking um, threat. Actually, I think Jess Park um, was quite promising during the game. Um, but yeah, Arsenal. I, I, to be honest, I don't I ever like seeing Arsenal win. Um, <laughs> it's so just I'm in your blood now, Claire. It's yeah, just allergic yeah. to it. Um, yeah, I am. But uh, yeah, it's nice to kind of keep the, the title race going um, and keeping it exciting at the top of the table. I think Arsenal should have won by more. I think they were quite comfortable in the game until the kind of latter stages. Um, I think Miedema would say she should have done better. 
she she could have had a hat trick in that game. There is, but Emily Ramsey was absolutely incredible between the sticks. So huge shout out to her. Um, but yeah, it's great to see Viv back on the score sheet. Obviously playing that deeper role, um, and then Arsenal have that flexibility of of taking Plaxtenius off and sticking her up front. So um, the fact they didn't get extra goals allowed Everton to creep back into the game, especially in the second half, it definitely could have been a draw. But I think for Arsenal, for Arsenal's confidence at this point in the season with so many injuries, this game for me could have been a little bit of a make or break sounds dramatic but we saw last season when they drew with Spurs how the wheels kind of came off they had injuries then too so I think for their confidence this was a really important win they've got Juventus next um, again um, so I think yeah it, it's a big win for them to be able to hold on with, with injuries and now they've got some of those players coming back which I think is key Interesting. I, I felt that it was actually quite nice to see Miedemar dropping into that deeper role and sort of seeing her feed those balls into Blastenius and, and Marnham and I think she felt quite comfortable there obviously you know the pressure's on everyone's expecting quite a lot from her and to come back and, and to get that goal I think was, was a massive confidence boost for her as well as obviously you know off the pitch spending loads and loads of time looking after me and making sure she's okay um but again I've got a shout out to another Arsenal legend Leah Williamson uh you know back on the pitch again massive massive crowd uh you know engagement roars everywhere um you know back from injury 200th WSL appearance so yeah really great to see her back um all right the next big one I mean Chelsea Leicester eight goals for Chelsea um I mean I think we were expecting that Chelsea were going to get the win I don't think any of us anticipated that it was going to be this high scoring but, you know, three minutes in, um, Kirby set back for, for Ryton. I think, you know, Ryton, we've got to touch on her, if anything, because the assists, the goal creation, the goal scoring. I mean, this kid is absolutely flying and she tore them apart. I mean, Claire, for you, obviously, is, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a Chelsea fan. What, what were your thoughts on, on the game? You must be looking at that just sort of carol singers outside, Chelsea on the telly winning 8-0, Christmas is coming. What You look, you look very, very happy with yourself right now. It, yeah, I'm a bit smug to be fair um no it was absolutely brilliant um as you mentioned Royton she's such a pleasure to watch um so exciting the way she cuts teams apart um and you know what I think the her desire to actually want to move move the ball forward sometimes we see quite a lot of passive play with Chelsea moving the ball sideways but I think she can change the game in a second with a forward pass beating a player um but yeah I just thought it was so dominant um actually lost track in the end of, of who actually scored but yeah fantastic from Wrighton Fleming again um, was unbelievable um, and yeah it was a great day for Chelsea yeah. and the Carol singer <laughs> Fleming has definitely um, stepped up in the absence of Harder as well which I think is good like to have that quality um, to be able to come in and, and fill in um, but Guru Wrighton is just superb She, I was having a look at some of the stats she's in the 99th percentile of midfielders and attacking both midfielders and attacking midfielders or wingers for assists. Um, she's has had nine in nine games in the WSL, which is incredible. Um, she's only started eight games. Um, and for context, last season, she provided five assists in the league. So she's already nearly doubled it and we're not even halfway through. Um, so I think we have our, a new assist queen on our hands. Um, and it just provides so much for Chelsea. Like it's almost a guarantee that she's going to whip in a good ball. And we're starting to see this will be important for Chelsea putting away those chances. I've talked a couple of times about it on the pod this season about them not creating enough um, chances or that they're creating them but not getting them on target. And now, you know, a game like that will will be huge for their confidence in terms of actually converting those chances. Massively. I think to me, that looked like a training session. It looked like it was kind of a, you know, one of those sessions near Christmas where, you know, your manager sort of goes a little bit soft on you. They're sort of heading up into the Christmas break and they think, oh, do you know, what? go out 
you know, enjoy yourselves, do what you can and just enjoy the game. And I think they looked like a, a team that was really loving, relishing being out there. Um, and I think that was amazing to see. Um, yeah, I think for Leicester, there are there are some teams that you do not want to concede early against, you know, some teams will, will will score early and kind of sit back and be happy with that and get the odd goal here or there. Chelsea are not that team. If they score early, they want more. And it's just like the worst possible start is to concede early to Chelsea because the floodgates open. Massively. And I think I think the only positive that I'll really take out of that for Leicester is the fact that I did think they battled until the end, despite obviously being against the odds, 8-0 down. I think they still put in a shift and also massive, massive mention to Tash Flynn as well, coming on at half time, already trying to dig the team out of out of you know absolute carnage but you know within a couple of minutes she came on I think she provided a bit of an outlet for them a bit of a break I think from from constant defending a couple of great attacks from her and an absolute worldie of a strike uh, that nearly defeated uh, Anne Katrenberger was it not for her equaling that with another incredible save so uh, yeah massive shout out to Tash because I think um, we could see her potentially go into another side uh, should she continue to perform like that and Leicester don't uh, remain in the WSL, should we say? Um, it's but a nice again, way of saying relegated. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find any kind of nice way of saying that. Um, but I mean, Willie Kirk said in the sort of build-up that he'd like to think that they got a group of players that look forward to the challenge of Chelsea rather than shrink under it. Uh, I mean, those words have not matured very well. Um, it, he said it's really a test of where they are and how far they can push themselves, and that they would try and play in a style that they want to play in long term. I think, but it was a difficult game to really assess what style that was because they obviously didn't have much of the possession so um yeah I mean also not maybe the game you want to do that in you know it's Chelsea aren't aren't a team that particularly maybe for Leicester to, to go and attack do you know what I mean I, I can understand obviously Tash Flynn's for example showing that they they could get goals but you know there's just some games where you know you're gonna have to sit back and try and absorb the pressure and I think that was maybe what had they been able to keep them out for half an hour you know, I think it would have been obviously a different story um, given Chelsea had about four in that half an hour. But yeah, I think... Pick your battles, Willie yeah. Kirk. Pick your battles. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I, decide kind of how you want to play and know your strengths. I think it would have been best for them to sit a little bit deeper um, and really try and remove some of the lines in between because they did get carved open a bit. But I do feel, I do feel for Willie Kirk. All right. So, Claire, if you were managing that that Leicester side for that game, what you said, like a 10-person block um, sitting sort of like within touching <laughs> distance of each other in, in two equal lines of five, that kind of vibe. You know, I would encourage the pressure and then really just try to go for counter counter attack. Okay. Because, you know, Chelsea do like to leave the spaces in behind. So I would have gone for them. That's it. So counter attack. Leave Tash Flint high. There Every ball over to Tash yes. Flint. Hope that she scores a worldie from the halfway line. Love it. Um, I mean, big, big game for, for Chelsea. Not only getting that, absolutely astronomical scoreline but uh, Emma Hayes' 300th match in charge of Chelsea she's won five WSL titles four FA Cups two League Cups and a partridge in a pear tree she's also (laughs) won WSL manager of the season five times I mean Claire it's someone that you're very very familiar with having worked with her for a number of years I mean what's it like how how, you know give us some behind the scenes scoops on your relationship with uh, with Emma Hayes (laughs) Well, you know what? I think um, having played at Chelsea while we transitioned from semi-pro to pro, her managing style had to change, um, becoming a little bit less personal. Um, obviously, when we were semi-pro, it was you could there was a lot more um, interaction. I guess as the squad grew, she's only you know she only has so many hours in her day in order to actually. Um, 
interact with the players. So I think what I love the most is that Emma Hayes is really, really great with people. She does genuinely care. Um, I've been in situations when I've been left out of left out of teams, um, and you do get the care. Um, when you are disappointed in situations like that. But what, what stands out for me compared to other managers I've had is her attention to detail. Um, she does not leave any stone unturned. And I know every manager is, it does their due diligence, but I think Emma Hayes, the way that she can think on the spot, the way each team, each, sorry, each person knows their roles and responsibilities and no plan A, B, C, D, E, F, however many you want. Um, and also what's great, you know what you're good at and what you're not good at. I was very aware of my strengths and my weaknesses and um, she allowed me to play to my strengths and sometimes not so much my weaknesses. <laughs> and I think, yeah, and obviously, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's lovely to kind of get a little bit of a, you know, behind the scenes on, on Emma there. Um, I mean, what does she demand of the squad? I mean, obviously she, with how Chelsea have been playing, I mean, the results that they've picked up, the awards that they've had, the titles that they've, they've, they've got. I mean, the pressure must be so high, I suppose, in, in the squad. How does she kind of manage that and sort of make sure that she's constantly getting the best out, out, out of the players in such a challenging, demanding situation? You know what I think uh, the key here is um, staying quite consistent. I know it sounds quite cliche, but when you win a game, when you win a league, when you win FA Cup, football changes so quickly that you have to go again and you're always looking behind you to see the competition around. And I think what the, one of the key things is actually the strengths of the teams around Chelsea. Um, and making them, you know, push on, uh, recruit more. Obviously, the size of their squad, the depth, um, the infrastructure that's there. Um, but I think what what stood out for me when I was playing um, was, you know, the actual one-to-ones that you get um, during training sessions. You know, obviously, she's fantastic on the pitch, but then off the pitch, when you're reviewing your technical performance, what you could have done better, um, each player will, will will have time to do that. And and actually, what I've enjoyed even more so now retiring is her um, is that the way actually she's helped me in my my retirement. So actually becoming a person outside of football. Um, and yeah, I do see see Emma as a friend now. At the time when she was a manager, not so much, but now um, she does really take care of her players and, and think about the longevity of the person first rather than the footballer. I suppose it's a difficult um, sort of thing to juggle, isn't it? Because you want to you want to have a strong, you know, good relationship with the players where they can open up to you. And, you know, a lot of the things, you know, when you've got stuff going on behind the scenes, personal issues, family issues and things, it does filter into football. It's hard not to let that leak into, you know, your performance at training and, and at games. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, and obviously with, with Spurs, we had a very similar situation where it went from being a very family orientated thing to next thing going into the WSL and it became a full-time you know business and it was very results driven so it does the mentality of it is difficult to kind of shift um but I mean she's been absent for for quite a lot of the the season obviously out with out with the illness and the uh, the emergency surgery um but I mean it just it's credit to I suppose herself and, and also the players and the staff around her that you know the team have continued to you know display and get result after result after result do you think um you know a big part of that is probably because they've wanted to get that for Emma while she's going through her own sort of difficult family and you know personal issues at the moment yeah definitely I think it takes a lot of resolve doesn't it to go into a game without your leader but I think she's given each of those players a responsibility to to um, to lead on the pitch and I think sometimes you know when you're playing you look up and you see the manager if the manager's not there some people's performances can drop a little bit and um, you so I think some people might have expected that from Chelsea but you know when you want when you have a goal at the end of the season to win everything you can't let you know one game drop you can't let your performance drop just because Emma isn't there and the staff and the backroom staff behind her um, 
probably would have been giving the players an even harder time in her absence just to make a point because they don't want to be losing when she's not there. I think what impresses me most about her is the way she manages her recruitment and manages the players within the squad. I've heard her speak about having to, you know, manage players individually who need different things. So some players just want really basic information. They don't want an overload of, you know, what they need to do in, in the game. And then you've got other players who do want that kind of level of detail. Um, and, and one thing that stood out for me, it was back in the season where they they got to the Champions League final. Now I know the Champions League final went tits up for them a little bit, but what impressed me most about Emma Hayes during that that run was they had a number of difficult matches. And once they got to the quarters and the semis, you know, they had these matches over two legs and always the second leg, Chelsea were better. And it showed how much Emma Hayes was able to learn from the first match and adapt for the second. And I, I thought that was so, so impressive because you know, tactically, she was able to figure out what she needed to do in this in the second leg um, to kind of exploit the weaknesses of the opposition. And I mean, even in the final, you saw them adapt in the second half, you know, and I just thought that was really interesting looking at a, a manager kind of herself learning on the job, if you like. And I just thought that was a really good example of the kind of manager she was. Well, I mean, it's been interesting to see because I think, um, you know, I don't know how long she will have left with Chelsea. I mean, not in the sense don't that... Don't start the rumours. I'm not, st- I'm not starting a rumour. Oh, I'm no. not saying that, you know, there's any, <laughs> any kind of concern that she's going to, you know, be kicked out anytime soon. Why would she? She's on absolute flying form. But it's always interesting to kind of hear, obviously she's been with the club a, a very long time. Um, probably going to go down as one of the, the best WSL managers that we've, we've ever seen, especially, well, in my lifetime, for sure. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how long she stays with the club and, and sort of where her, her future goes to because obviously she's an incredible pundit an incredible spokesperson incredible advocate for you know all the incredible issues and, and around the um, the women's game so watch this space because um, you never know where she's going to she end up she wants that Champions League she <laughs> wants it yeah she does Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., All right, so that Leicester loss means they're still bottom and have yet to pick up a point from their opening nine games. Not a great run, not a great start to the season for, for them. Uh, this is their second WSL campaign, having finished 11th last season. Again, another relegation battle for, for them last year. So things are pretty much unchanged. Um, crucially, Reading got their second win of the season, 1-0 at home against Tottenham due to a fluky but worldly own goal for, from Amy Turner. Uh, I mean, this now means that Reading goes seven points 
clear of Leicester. Even despite a flu outbreak in the squad, Reading looked in control for, for large periods. Uh, I mean, yeah, did you guys manage to catch the, the Reading Tottenham game? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was mad. Like, Reading were quite on top, but it was I found it unusual that they didn't actually score themselves, um, given the kind of dominance they had in the game. Um, which, you know, the fact that they saw it out is, is impressive, especially with the squad that they had. Um, but you could see that they were running out of gas by, by the end of the match, and they had kind of little options in terms of death, depth. But huge shout out to Becky Spencer, because she was absolutely superb. There's one save she made in the second half where it was absolutely point blank. The ball was behind her and she still somehow got a hand to it. Um, so I think she definitely kept them kept them in the game. And I mean, her and Emily Ramsey have both had superb weekends. Um, but yeah, I just, I think the, you know, Spurs have, have games in hand over the teams above them. So that's something to consider. So while they're sitting seventh, winning those two games could potentially put them up to fifth and they're playing West Ham next who are just above them. So they could leapfrog them if they win that match. Um, I just, Spurs for me, I think, yes, they recruited plenty in the summer, but maybe not, you know, they haven't got that out and out striker that's going to win them games. Really inconsistent at the moment. But for me, I think it's just reminding ourselves that they overachieved last season. That's what I keep telling myself when we see results like that. Is that actually... This is probably more what we can expect as the team grows. I mean, they're a strong mid-table team, aren't they? They're sort of consistent in the way that they stay out of the relegation zone and in a safety period. I think, um, you know, they've obviously come up from the WSL two, no, three years ago now. Um, and they've never been ones that we've been concerned about in terms of the relegation battle. So they've always picked up sort of, you know, doggedly picked up those points and just enough to secure them and, and keep them uh, in that middle pack. But I think, you know, Brighton now seven points clear. Liverpool, eight points. Uh, both of them looking a cut above Leicester, who now look most likely to go down. Uh, I mean, Liverpool picking up the, the three points this weekend against West Ham 2-0 which is their first win since the opening day of the season I thought uh, Liverpool looked really I was, quite impressive yeah I was at that game and I was really impressed with how they played they put their foot on the gas in the first half and they've had in a couple of previous games where they've scored early and then kind of uh, uh, relinquished the lead and they didn't do that today uh, on Sunday they would did not let West Ham back into the game in that first half West Ham were really poor in the first half they could not string a pass together they could not figure out what to what to do um and what I think Liverpool do really well is they set up with a back five, um, but that allows Hines and Coivisto on the on the fullback position to kind of get up the pitch. So they go from a back three to a back five really quickly, um, which allow them to kind of absorb any West Ham, uh, you know, flurries forward by sitting back with that five. And then Coivisto and Hines could tear up the pitch when they were in the ascendancy. And Coivisto and Van der Sanden, that link up play is going to be so good this season. It was brilliant at the weekend. It's going to be such a weapon um, for Liverpool going forward. And then they were able to really, they showed a real maturity in the second half to be able to absorb that West Ham fight back and manage the game out. So I was really impressed with them this weekend. Uh, well, now I think we've sort of created a situation, haven't we, where we've got the kind of the relegation zoners in and around the bottom half. We've got the obviously the, you know, the big top four. Uh, it was interesting that we, uh, you know, picked up on a, on a tweet from, from Tim Stillman this week, who posed this really interesting idea of that he'd like to see a playoff game featuring the team who finished second bottom in the WSL and the second place team in the championship. Um, I mean, Tim said that there were too many games in both divisions that don't mean enough. Um, I mean, what do we think of this idea? Do we think it's a good idea that we could have a sort of a, a second from bottom WSL with a, a second from top championship to get to get sort of more more championship teams I suppose in and around the WSL and potentially get some of those WSL not 
deadwoods but you know get a couple of the squads who aren't performing as well as they could do <laughs> to go down and to, to fight for their place back again for the next season what do you think claire you know yeah I, I actually think it's a really really good idea i think it gets a bit predictable doesn't it obviously leicester are really struggling they look like they get they're going to be the ones relegated i think it will open it up obviously for them championship ties to have um more to to look up to um with the potential of going into um, the WSL and I just think it would just make it more exciting why not have it a bit more kind of competition at the bottom of the leagues because as you said it is quite predictable when we look at the likes of Tottenham and West Ham and these teams who kind of just always sitting around um, the middle of the table I think it would spark a bit of more energy into some of these teams and just touch it on the West Ham performance with the Liverpool win um, I just find them so inconsistent West Ham obviously I played my last season with them um, and at that time, they're relatively new. But I think there is there is a plateau that happens in some of these teams. Um, and I feel like the likes of Tottenham and West Ham, they're, they're, they're sitting, and also Reading to an extent. Obviously, they're not backed by a men's team. Um, and they, they struggle e- each year, but they manage to survive. Um, so I think it would just kind of create a little bit more excitement. Someone always, When you're always looking over your shoulder, it does give you a bit of a kick up the backside, doesn't if it? If you think about what that third Champions League spot did for the league, you know, it used to kind of always be like a top two, a top three. Now we have a top four and oftentimes there's there's another couple of teams that at times will challenge and, and maybe put pressure on for that third spot. And I think it's really helped the, the top half of the table grow having that extra spot and having that extra thing to fight for. And I think having that second, you know, that playoff potential at the bottom of the table, it creates, you know, real jeopardy for teams and real excitement. Like if you look at it now, there's two points between seventh and 11th at the moment. You know, that's if, if that was the case, having a playoff match, that's four teams that could potentially be fighting it out. Because right now it's just don't be last. Just get yourself as far away from last as possible. And then you're kind of like, whew, okay, I think we're probably safe that's fine. Whereas, you know, that, that option would, would kind of create that fight and that, you know, push for teams to improve and improve. It's what the Champions, extra Champions League spot has done. And I really hope that we manage to hang on to that third place spot. Um, and more importantly, it's options for the championship. It gives more things to fight for in the championship, which would then make the championship even better because that league deserves more for what gets put into it. It's such a great league. Uh, you've literally taken my point away from me. I'm I was so like, sorry. I was like, oh, I'm going to give some championship perspective on this because um, I do think, you know, given the league and how competitive it is this year, I mean, 90% of the teams in the championship are now full-time professional outfits, you know, and have been for, for quite a number of years. I mean, London City, I think, have been professional now for about three or four years. So, and now they're at the top and I, and I do see now a bit of a bottleneck with the championship. And I think this increased competition to know that, you know, you get into that second spot and that still means you're with the chance of making it to WSL and all the increased investment, the attention that that gets, you know, the clubs. Because you've got to remember that also they get a, a lot more funding if you go into, up into the WSL. And it just is a, it's a, it's a massive way to, to get some of these clubs through because I think one going up is just not enough given the talent now going on in the championship. So I would love to see that. I think that would make things super, super edgy. Because you saw last season, Liverpool kind of ran away with it. And, and, and you know, then what's left to fight for? Well, I mean, this season it's different. It's it's much, much closer at the top. There's like four teams within touching distance of each other. Um, so yeah, I just think that reward because we're asking teams to invest and, you know, you're seeing teams in the championship turn professional and for what? If there's only one option at the end of the day. So yeah, I think there definitely needs to be more reward there. All right. All three of us on the same page. Let's back, do it, guys. Back in the, the Tim <laughs> Stillman special. Tim, yeah, get yeah. a petition going. We'll sign it. <laughs> 
And I know, um, I mean, we've been speaking a lot recently about the sort of play- problems of, you know, excessive player loading recently. Uh, the likes of West Ham and Spurs look to be suffering from, from the opposite effects of this. Um, there doesn't seem to be much of a sense of routine or rhythm with a lot of the sort of middling WSL sides. I mean, Claire, you just touched on there. You know, it seems like that some of the clubs have reached a bit of a, a plateau. They're not in the relegation zone, but they're not really fighting for the Champions League or, or the, the WSL title. Uh, I mean, for example, I mean, you know, Spurs smashed Brighton 8-0 uh, in October, but since then didn't play for three weeks and lost to Chelsea, beat Coventry, which is an, obviously an expected win in the Conti Cup, and then lost to Reading on Sunday. It's sort of a bit of a roller coaster ride from them. Um, but I think, you know, Claire, from your perspective, obviously, you know, having played at, at such a high level for such a long period of time, I mean, you know, how important was it to you to kind of have those regular matches to, to play yourself, uh, you know, find form, find fitness, find consistency? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's probably the most important thing um, as a player. You can train all you like um, at a high standard, a high level. You can do in, you know, intermatch. Is in, in training, but it does never replicate um, the level of the games um, that you play um, within the league. So having that consistency reduces the amount of injuries for sure, because your body is exposed to to the pressures, um, and then obviously you can get used to that, um, and it prevents the injuries. I know for sure for me when I'm coming back from from, from injuries, and then there was games and then breaks, and then obviously some um, rained off and things like that. It just totally increases your likelihood of of, of getting injured. Um, and it also just breaks your form, breaks the form of the team, breaks your confidence. Um, and yeah, I think you just can't beat, you can't replicate the training. Um, sorry, you can't re- replicate matches and training. I think it's impossible. So having the consistency would really, really, I think, reduce some of the injuries. Um, and then having the depth of squad um, in order to, to give the correct exposure for these players. It's really interesting because you've got your likes of Jonas Eidevel, Emma Hayes, Gareth Taylor, Mark Skinner talking about loading and managing loading and players and and how they've had they've struggled a little bit with that. And then at the other you know areas of the other clubs and other parts of the league, it's the opposite issue. They're not playing enough. They're not playing enough football. They're not getting enough consistency. And we talk a lot about those teams. What we feel like they're missing is in the signings area, the players that they're bringing in. It's a bit of a chicken and egg because you need longevity in competitions. You know to attract players you know you, you want players to believe that you can go and win things with clubs and and progress long into competitions with clubs um but you you need those players to do that so I think having not a lot of football and not a lot of consistency then is makes the team slightly less attractive to sign up to and then you're not getting the, the, the players you need in order to get further in the competition so I don't really know what the answer is but there is definitely an issue with some clubs not some teams not playing enough football and some teams playing too much football. Playing too much, yeah. yeah and, and then you don't get the depth in the squads that you need to compete and go further. Um, and they go to, to clubs that are, are more likely to win things and more likely to, to go further in games. Massively. I think, um, you know, obviously being with like Palace last year and then sort of being in and around the squad this year. I mean, you know, we started off the, the, the championship with, you know, a really running, an amazing run of form. Uh, picking up the three wins initially and then we went into the international break and I think then there was a, a game where we or a weekend we didn't have a fixture and then we had a run of games and then another international break and it it really sort of um, it becomes a very disjointed league and then you have an FA Cup game and then you might not have a, a league game then for another three or four weeks and I think you know when you're a club that's sort of you know chasing promotion or you know chasing you know getting better um it can kind of really upset things. I think you, you you don't have that same level of consistency. You don't have that run of games that you can consistently feel like you're trying to achieve something because it's continuously broken up by international breaks and things. So 
I know for me, I think um, it, you almost kind of want like a mini cup between the teams that don't have the internet, like a little a little mini cup that takes place in the international fixtures just to keep things a little bit spicier in yeah, a way. Yeah, I guess that's why you have the Conti Cup and you don't have the, the top teams coming into that until a bit later. Yeah. Um, but it's not really addressing the problems. I mean, am I right in thinking in, in America they continue playing during international breaks? They The NWSL carries on. Yeah, um, I, think they do. I think it does, yeah. I don't know if that's the answer and I'm not suggesting that as, as the answer. But that you know that's something slightly different where you know international players go fine you just have to you have to fill your 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 team up with with the depth that you you know should have but yeah i don't know what the answer is to kind of make more of a balance between the teams because even I think when you, I mean, a lot of clubs obviously try and sort out friendlies with, with other sides and things, but even then you don't get the same level of competitive. You don't get the same level of kind of, you know, the realistic game scenario. It's a chance to kind of rotate players, which is obviously great, but you're not really setting up as you would for a, for a proper game. Um, so yeah, I, don't, I, I agree. I think it is a massive issue. I'm definitely appreciating it more now as someone who now works in the game, covering international breaks, covering Champions League, covering the leagues and Conti Cup. It, it does oftentimes oftentimes feel relentless because every you know couple of weeks you're either away again with the Champions League or away again in, with international breaks and obviously you know very privileged to get to work in football so it's amazing but I as a football player I can I can really appreciate like oh my god I'm gone again it's another one another game another midweek fixture away with England again another camp I can I can only imagine what it's like as a player mm-hmm. I think or maybe we look to expand the, the WSL introduce yeah. more games um, and then obviously like you said I think it would be a good idea to keep continuing to play do the US model continuing to play in those uh, in those breaks because the breakup is just it's not good I would love to hear from people listening uh, some of their suggestions what how could you how could we address that imbalance how like the imbalance between player loading one end and then the other end teams just not getting enough consistent performances like what is the best way to manage that absolutely love this not only have we covered all of the WSL the thousands of WSL games that happened this weekend but we're also putting in place some very big uh, you know FA strategies really <laughs> about how we manage the overloading and underloading of teams I'm not sure we've come up with the answer yet <laughs> <laughs> and also we jumped on the back of Tim, Tim Stillman's you know playoff WSL championship situation so you know some big big ideas floating around it up front this weekend um, alright thank you so much for joining us today on Upfront next week is our final episode before the Christmas break so if you've got any questions that can't wait until January then you better get them in ASAP tweet us at football ramble I am at morgie underscore 89 Rach is at girls on the ball or Claire Rafferty carol singing Claire Rafferty is at (laughs) CL Rafferty one we will see you next time Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,